This is the Coach Brew Show. This is also the world's shortest podcast intro. Welcome, everybody, to the Coach Brew Podcast. Uh, we are coming at you from my new office right here in Cumberland Center, Maine, uh, which probably is an even smaller town than where our guest is uh, dialing in from here on Zoom. Uh, we're joined today. we got a special guest expert going to talk marketing and branding and just all things growing uh, and scaling a business, growing it from infancy uh, and humble beginnings to really uh, international prominence in, in the case of this particular brand. And we're joined here uh, on Zoom, or if you're listening to the podcast on, on the audio, iTunes, uh, by Parker Smith, who is uh, the brains behind the operation of Ye Apparel and uh, the uh, the machine that is all things Granger Smith music, entertainment, and uh, Ye Ye Life, I guess you could say. Uh, what is what's it read on your business card? Is it like a mile long, Parker? All the titles and acronyms? <laughs> uh, yeah, we're still figuring it out as we go. We joke all the time about how none of us really have a formal title because we're all just making this up as we go. And we have so much stuff to keep up with that we it kind of changes on a daily basis what our roles are. So um, for people who aren't aware of kind of like our history and sort of the backstory and how, you know, we ended up on a podcast together today. Um, you know, I had written about Granger in an article in entrepreneur magazine a bunch of years ago, interviewed him. Uh, I think I've interviewed just about everybody in the band at this point, uh, except for, uh, I think John Wazinski. Um, maybe Todd, How I don't know. I want to interview Todd Howard about his beard. That's another whole story. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I interviewed Dusty. Uh, I've interviewed Tyler. Actually, that happened on March 9th of 2016. Tyler Smith is your older brother. Uh, he's what, the middle brother in the family? Oh, he's the middle, yeah. And he is Granger's manager. Uh, on March 9th, 2016, for an article in uh, my Entrepreneur Magazine column about Yee Yee Apparel and energy drink and kind of the ye brand. And that was four years and change ago. And a lot has changed. Um, so I'd love to just start for people who aren't familiar with that article. I'll put it in the show notes. You definitely need to read it. It'll give you a little more uh, depth and texture and context to what we're talking about. But uh, for people who are uh, TLDR, too lazy, don't read and just want to watch or listen to this, let, let's start with what Yee Yee is and kind of give us, uh, you know, give us the Cliff Notes version of, you know, what Yee Yee is, how it came to be, and, you know, where we are today. Got it. So, Granger Smith is our oldest brother, and he is a country music artist. Yeah, I probably should have said that, huh? Who <laughs> cut his teeth on... Uh, building his band and his following in the Texas country music scene down here in Texas. And we were always looking for ways. And by we, I mean, Tyler, who's the middle brother, who was his manager looking for ways to, as for people who don't know or do know, 
it's the music industry is very competitive. It's very difficult to differentiate yourself and do anything to stand out and raise your hand. And we like to think that we have a pretty good sense of humor. And back in the, in the early 2010s, 2010, 2011, we were coming out with weekly videos, like SNL type skits, almost of just the most ridiculous stuff. And most of which nobody ever saw. But at the time we had this idea and these were just videos we were trying to get to go viral just to push Granger as a brand and, and Granger's name as a country music artist. And in 2011, we, there was this old abandoned house on our parents' ranch in, near Waco, Texas. And it, this thing was just falling apart. And we said, you know, wouldn't it be funny if somebody lived in this house? And if they did, what would they look like? What would they talk like? And what would they do all day? And so we came up with this idea of, this character who would live in this house and we named him Earl Dibbles Jr. We bought some overalls and wrote a monologue for his day. And so his day consisted of waking up, putting a dip in, cracking a cold one. And during that video, uh, Granger had a shotgun and he yelled, Hee-hee! and we thought it was funny. We didn't think anybody else was going to think it was funny. We put the video up on YouTube and that video just took off like wildfire. And we were like, man, I think we may be onto something. At a time when it's really hard to make something to quote air quotes, make something go viral. It went viral. Yeah. 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 So before we knew it, uh, that video just took off. A lot of people were talking about it. The next evol- natural evolution of that was for Granger to portray this guy in a, in a music video and create a song. So we created a song called the country boy song and that took off. And before we knew it, people were coming to his shows dressed as Earl Dibbles, yelling yee yee with yee yee signs. And we were like, man, people really love this yee yee thing. So long story short, he has since created and Earl just took off. I mean, Earl's social media following is still to this day, much larger than Granger's. Which is ridiculous if you think about it. hilarious to us. Yeah, (laughs) he spent his entire career to build his personal brand. And then we create this fake (laughs) character who is now much larger than him. Uh, and so he just, we ran with it and we went to what people were responding to. And so he's created five or six different songs and music videos portraying this guy. And that's the story of, of how it was born. And then I don't know how far you want me to go into the apparel side initially, but let's stop there for a second. I think it's real important for people to understand that, you know, this is like, as contrived as like creating the video in that abandoned farmhouse and everything was like, like you, you orchestrated that part of it, but the rest of like his whole persona is organic. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like uh, where the name Earl Dibbles, like the actual name came from and how, you know, like the content for his, his, uh, you know, kind of character traits, personality, quirks, and all that. Like, that's based on people you know, right? And it's actually yeah. based on, tell us a little bit about that and how it's really, it's everybody knows an Earl Dibbles Jr., right? Yeah. So it's funny, it's funny hearing it described like that because looking back, it was just so off the cuff and it just came so natural. And then people analyze it and they're like, so where exactly did you get the idea of this? It's like, man, we were just three brothers messing around on our rant. We weren't really thinking, we didn't think anybody was even going to watch it, but the name came from, we just knew Earl is just a good redneck name. So I think that's where that came from. Tyler played college football at Rice in Houston, Texas. And 
one of his buddies uh, had the last name Dibbles and he always just thought that was hilarious and uh, remembered that. And so that's where Dibbles came from. And then yep. if, if you're creating a, a, a country boy, then it's only natural that he's going to be a junior. Yeah. And, you know, from a long line of Earl Dibbles. And so that's where the name came from. And then just like the nuances of Earl and what he did on a daily basis, like we, everybody knows that uncle or that distant relative who just tells stories and just goes on and on and on. And then at a certain, especially down here in Texas or in the South, or if you got some redneck friends, man, sometimes they just get going on a story and you don't even know what they're saying anymore. Cause they're so excited talking about it. And so, so that was people- it's a Parker. If people are looking for like, Oh, you know, like they're going to go Google Earl or like look up his socials and everything. Um, and for people who don't dig that deep, let me just give you my characterization of him. He's definitely got like a cousin Eddie quality from Christmas vacation. Wouldn't you say like, like there's a little bit of Earl and cousin Eddie. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. so it's just fascinating to me how just how organic it is and how relatable that is for people. Everyone knows, like, everyone's got the drunk uncle, the crazy cousin, you know, uh, the redneck friend down the street, whoever it might be. It's just so relatable. And everything is really kind of organic, uh, right down to the fact that you have an entire, I won't call it a brand, I'll call it a, uh, an empire, uh, or really a world, you know, we'll, we'll dive into that whole community element to what you're doing. Uh, but that's all based on two words and just six letters. Like yep. At the end of the day, this whole thing, the logo behind you, you know, if people are watching on video in the background of his office, it's two words, six letters. And they built this, this whole kind of world or empire around that. Um, so, let's talk about kind of how that started and uh, you know, the uh, sort of how the apparel business kind of morphed into Yee Yee apparel from, you know, the, the infancy of the brand. Yeah. So Tyler was, Tyler was managing Granger slash Earl Dibbles. It's funny. We talk about Earl as a different person. Whenever we hired a new guy about six months ago and he was like, it's funny how you guys talk about Earl, like Granger and Tyler and I will be talking and then we'll talk about Earl separately. Like he's another person because yeah. he really is just another person to us at this point because Granger has to get into that character. But Tyler is managing Granger and the apparel and the merch on the side and kind of juggling all of that. So initially it was just, we were just, we were like, okay, we're onto something. We think some t-shirts would sell with this Earl Dibbles guy. So he was creating shirts with Earl Dibbles, shirts with Yee Yee, koozies, hats, you name it. We put Earl's name on it and tried to sell it. And it was selling well, but we were selling it from the Granger Smith store. At the time they were selling it out of their garage. And they did that for a while and they were very successful with it. But I think they hit a certain ceiling in terms of selling it from Granger Smith's name. And so they did that for, you know, three, four, five years selling it from the Granger Smith store and it, and it did well, but we didn't really have its own brand to, to sit alone by itself. So when I came in, my initial job was to sell E energy, which is kind of another story, but we created an, an energy drink, which was probably launching about the time that you did 
uh, the interview with Tyler. Yeah, it's all in the article, folks, if you want to dig into that. Yeah. Yeah. And and that is that is an industry that I don't know well. We learned a lot of lessons doing that because if you imagine a guy fresh out of college coming in and cold calling Walmart and HEB telling him to buy his energy drink, it's like I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Yeah. Looking back now, there's so much red tape and there's such a barrier to entry. You really need a sales rep who has those connections with those distributors. And energy drinks in general are just so heavy. They're very difficult to make any money off of when you're shipping them directly to consumers. But we sold all of it. We sold about 10,000 cases in my first year and a half. All We sold almost all of it online. We got into a handful of mom and pops, but not many. And Just the ability to sell that much out of the gates is amazing. You know, we talked in the beginning about like country music's an ultra competitive industry, the, the beverage industry. I don't care if it's energy drinks, beer, alcohol, soda. That is probably every bit as competitive and cutthroat. And you need those inside connections as the music industry, music business. So yeah. like that, that's uh, and that's a success story in and of itself, right out of the gates. Yeah. So we. Our, our initial goal was to be, you know, us to be in every, every convenience store in America. And, and so for us, it was considered a failure, but you know, you fail your way to success and we learned a whole lot by doing that. And so, yeah, we learned, man, every, every time you go to a convenience store, every time we go to a convenience store now, and you look at those shelves and you look at the one little slot that one brand got, you think about how much, how much yeah. work and fighting they had to put and how much money they probably paid that gas station to have that one little slot. It's very interesting. Um, and the, like in the beer business, and this is a tangent, but it just shows you how competitive it is for everybody listening. Um, the the reps that go in and set up the displays, you know, sabotage their competitors' displays all the time. They'll sabotage the end cap. They'll move things, you know, where they don't belong. You know, bury the the comp, literally burying the competition's product in places it shouldn't be. Um, just that's how competitive it is, which is kind of, you know, the antithesis of the way I know you operate, uh, the music business operating, you know, musicians, I should say, operate. And, you know, my belief as an author as well is, you know, like good music begets more good music. You guys root for each other. You know, um, I see Granger promoting, uh, you know, his fellow artists music when they release a new album all the time, you know, it's a rising tide raises all ships versus, you know, a cutthroat industry like the beverage industry. So um, when did you guys decide, you know, we're going to shift away from ye energy and kind of pivot the business and pivot the brand? I was trying to juggle both after about a year and a half. I was trying to juggle both. And then at a certain point, I just realized my time was just, there was just a pivoting moment when I just realized that my time it's like, what's the opportunity cost of my time right yeah. now? And look at how, where's the demand? People right now are much more likely to buy hats and shirts and koozies from us than they are to buy a 24 pack of this energy drink. And then me trying to meet with distributors where the demand's just not there yet. And so my thinking was, if I can just build this brand, I love the saying, I think it's a book, be so good they can't ignore you or so good they can't uh, ignore you. Steve Martin said that, yep. Yeah, so we were like, man, let's just, let's just go, let's flow with what's working. We're going against, we're going against the current right now. So I began to instead focus on improving our product quality on the apparel side, try to just get it 
in a market and a niche that product quality, we saw a lot of other outdoor apparel companies at the time, just selling trash shirts, just, they felt like cardboard. They were like fit like a box and like a $3 Gildan cotton shirt. Yeah. That shrinks two sizes after you buy it. Yeah. Yeah. And all these, these, these artists who were selling them and, and these, these outdoor brands that were selling that none of them actually wear it themselves. They just sell it. And so you're like, our goal has always just been not sell anything that we wouldn't consume or wear ourselves. And so that was a good mentality for us moving forward. And that's kind of where we started, where I remember we had hats and Granger didn't even wear any of them. He's like, ah, they don't really fit good. It's like, why are we selling these? If you're not, you don't even like them. If we're not, yeah, you're supposed to be the walking billboard for it. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to be, I want to stop you for a quick second. Remember where it kind of bookmark this in your mind, but you packed so much valuable information into that last, like, 30 seconds. I just want to like, there's so many teaching points for the listener. You talk, first of all, like you hit a ceiling success and you pivoted. And I think that's a major takeaway for everyone because at some point people are going to hit a ceiling of success and they need to know, do we push forward? Is it even worth pushing forward? Or like you said, point two, what's the opportunity cost? Is everything you spend time doing, you know, is, is it, yielding a return on your time or would that time be better invested not spent invested in something else and then your third piece is be so good they can't ignore you and you knew when and where to kind of deploy that strategy um and like that's just a learning takeaway anyone can apply immediately uh and feeding what works you know, that that was kind of the the pivot with, you know, looking at the opportunity cost. And, you know, I'm a college lacrosse coach of 12 years before I became an entrepreneur. And that was my whole philosophy. Just do more of what works and less of what doesn't. And that's not just sports strategy or coaching. That's that's business. That's life. Like just it's simple, but it's not easy. You have to recognize what's working and how do I feed it to continue to get good results? And how do I, you know, pull the plug on what isn't working? Um, so, yeah, I just want to make sure everyone's aware, like that last 30 seconds that Parker gave you, if all you took from this interview was that, you're going to take that and you're going to be able to grow your brand and make more money. Like it's, it's that simple. Take it and apply it. Um, so let's pick up there. So you're feeding what works. You decide like, okay, we need to kind of have Granger be kind of living, breathing, walking, talking billboard for the brand and focus on quality, which, you know, everyone loves to say we're going to focus on quality until they realize how expensive that is. Quality costs money. So how how are you able to, to make that shift, focus on quality Uh, deliver more value and get people to want to pay a premium. Yeah. So, you know, it's like what makes something remarkable? Well, it's worth remarking about. And so just taking that second to, you know, people say all the time, why do you want to go in this business? Why do you want to do this or that? Well, because I want to make this money or how much can we make off of this? How much profit can we make off of this? Yes. You should be concerned about your financials, but if that's the first question, it's the wrong first question to ask yourself. The first question to ask yourself is, where is there an opening where I can provide value, where there's some type of demand? And so 
we saw an opening in a niche. We're not trying to, we're not trying to reinvent the apparel industry. You know, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. I don't consider myself someone who's going to come up with, you know, the most creative new product. I'm just trying to fill in the demand that I already see happening. And I'm trying to always think in terms of if I were my customer, what would I think if I opened this package and how would I feel if I opened it? So, you know, talking about quality, you know, one of the things like at a tactical level that we do, there's a story about, there's a story that I think could help some people that really helped me, which was there's a story about this couple that goes into this restaurant and, and they write up the manager after they eat there and they say, look, we've been eating at this restaurant for 15 years. We love everything here. You got the best hamburger in town. We asked our waitress for an extra pickle on the side. And she said, if I give you an extra pickle, I'm going to have to charge you 75 cents for the extra pickle. And they said, if this is the way you're going to run your business, then we're not coming here anymore. And so he said, as a young entrepreneur of this restaurant, it really made him stop back and think when we're pushing these nickels and dimes around, we're pushing pennies. What does that 75 cents really matter if it leaves our customer with a bad taste in their mouth? And so we began to think instead of there's, Every, every business has a pickle where it's just a little something extra, yep. whether you're selling a product or a service. It's like, what's that little bit more that may cost a little bit more, but in the long run, it's going to set you apart and it's going to leave people with, they're going to believe that you have a remarkable product. They're going to tell your friends about it. And so for us, that was, how can we maybe spend a little bit more on our packaging and making the packaging uh, custom camouflage box with Yee right be, it's right behind you. If you're watching this on YouTube, folks, look yeah. over his left shoulder, look over his right shoulder. Yeah. yeah. So this was a prototype that we did. The final one actually has our shotgun logo on it, but it's, it's like maybe 30 cents more versus yeah. the regular box. Uh, we do custom but tissue in our orders. We do. It's, a, a, it's a, standing a, out in the sea of sameness, right? Yeah. And so quick story for you, and I meant to reach out to you, and I apologize I didn't earlier this year, um, but over uh, the beginning of the pandemic, is at the time of recording this, we're now in like what, um, day 135 of 15 days to flatten the curve, which is just another whole conversation. Yeah. But um, beginning of the pandemic, Dave Portnoy, the CEO of Barstool Sports, you know where I'm going with this. Um, did these unboxing videos where, you know, somehow accidentally somebody sent him something and when he was opening it up, the address label was facing the camera and like basically he doxed himself, his, his home mailing address in New York city went viral and people just started sending him gifts. You know, all his uh, fans from Barstool Nation were sending him gifts like a machete um, a sword, an axe, crazy stuff, apparel. And every time he got new apparel, he would throw it on until he got something else. But it was stacks upon stacks from floor to ceiling in his hallway, outside his apartment building, in his apartment of plain cardboard boxes. And in the background behind him, I see a Yee Yee apparel box which is a billboard for your brand in a sea of sameness, like this cardboard, tan, beige, whatever, cardboard wall. There's a Yee branded box. It was the only one. 
I paused, you know, my uh, TV and I'm looking at like, how many boxes are there? There are hundreds, but there's one that's actually branded. And the rest of them had like the Amazon tape on it, or it was like a UPS or a FedEx label or whatever. But you stood out and see a sameness. And I love giving credit where credit is due. I'm sorry I didn't shoot you a text or give you a call or screenshot that at the time. But my point is like, at that point, it didn't even matter if you opened the box, took the hat or the t-shirt out and wore it or whatever, like mission accomplished. Your brand was, you kind of hijacked the news there. Your brand is in that conversation in a subtle, but really freaking powerful way. So props to you guys on, uh, you know, kind of that stealth bomb you just dropped on uh, his unboxing videos. Uh, talk to, talk to us a little bit about that. Like, Man, I actually didn't have it. Uh, people RC- remark about your packaging, and that's just one example. Yeah, our CMO sent that, and I didn't even know that he had done that at the time. But I actually found out because a couple of friends sent me the video of him yep. opening it up. <laughs> and I think he just, like, threw it to the side or something. But, I mean, it's still, like you it said. It didn't even matter that he threw yeah, it to it the side. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that, that was one thing that, man, I don't know why more people don't do that. Uh, it just adds so much value and it just makes it, it's like when people, a lot of times you end up underwhelmed whenever you order something. Uh, but if you can, if you can, like, uh, the CEO of Zappos said, it's like opening a box or delivering happiness. Mm -hmm. If you can end them feeling that feeling of opening up that box that they bought and, and have them feeling, you know, good about their purchase, you know, it goes a long way just to have to spend a little bit more money, a little bit more time up front to design something that, uh, looks cool. So you talk about opportunity cost and, you know, knowing the kind of the dollar value of your time, um, what was behind the strategy or the choice to do, uh, your own fulfillment? You've got a warehouse, you do all your own packaging, order fulfillment, shipping, everything, as opposed to simply, you know, going with some, uh, white label third party print on demand company that would, you know, literally take the order from your website, fill it and ship it. Man, this is so an ongoing- save, t- save time and money, but but you chose deliberately and intentionally not to do that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and a lot of my time is spent still. I'm trying to separate myself from from the distribution. We call it Yee Distribution now, and it's its own separate wing in our new office. And doing a good job of hiring out for that, so that it's kind of able to run on its own. But we did third party fulfillment for a while and a lot of the big guys do. And I'm not saying eventually we could get to the point where it does make sense to do that. But initially where we were, people were getting the wrong packages. People were getting packages with products that were not up to our quality. And it just came to the point where we were like, let's just hire someone. We, We had like a family friend who needed a job and we hired her to do our customer service and just ship it out ourselves. And it was already 10 times better than some random people. No one's going to care about your product like you do or your service like you do. Exactly. Uh, And so, man, I mean, now, now we're hiring up to, I mean, sometimes we have 16 or 17 people back there shipping. And I mean, it's a full blown distribution uh, company back there. And thankfully we have, like I said, the people in place to where it's really nice to just be able to control the narrative and be able to do in this way, we get to do our custom boxes. We get to throw in handwritten notes if we want to. And it kind of just goes along with that. Give them the pickle where I'm just constantly thinking, I just hate, I hate the idea of knowing that 
that someone else is sending out our stuff and it may not be the right thing and it may not be up to our quality and it may be going out late and the customer service may be terrible. I love knowing Maddie is back there answering emails. We're going over them all the time, exactly the way she's talking to the customer yeah. and when she's using exclamation points and able to, Hey, my hat, my hat strap broke after eight months, just give them a new hat. Let's just send them a new one. And so, yeah, you know, I would, it would be, probably less of a headache and I would have more time to focus on brand strategy and long-term stuff if we didn't do distribution in-house, but I think it's, I think it's helped us. And I think the strategy point, it actually helps you because it gives you more touch points of the customer, more opportunity to listen to them if they're sharing their problems directly with you, as opposed to some third party vendor that just does fulfillment addressing customer complaints you know, you, have, you have an opportunity to, to react quickly and respond. So kudos to you. And I think, you know, it is, you mentioned controlling the narrative and each of those touch points. If there were ever a time in at least, if not human history, at least in our lifetime, where it's important to be able to control the narrative, it's today. And to be able to tell your story exactly the way it's meant to be told. Um, it kind of brings me to my next question, Parker, is, you know, when did you really see the trajectory of what you were doing start to shift? You know, you had uh, started out shortly after uh, graduating college. Uh, you went to Texas A&M, right? Did, yeah. So, and you go into business kind of with, with your siblings and your family. And you just started to kind of uh, put your thumbprint on the brand and on what you're doing. When did you see it really start to, you know, the trajectory start to shift you kind of moved from Granger and his website and that sort of branded merch to ye apparel. And is there like a, uh, kind of like if you're looking at it, like an interstate, you know, what, my, where's the mile marker that you would point to and say, here's where we really started to get traction and momentum and things started to change. It was a, it was a snail race of just making tiny decisions that improved the customer's experience and just slowly going through vendors. And I had no idea what I was doing when I came on board. I was going to go into residential real estate. I didn't know anything about e-commerce or shipping or distribution. I learned it all as I went. I did not have, I didn't have a mentor or someone above me showing me the ropes. It was just me in an in our little leased office and one other girl who was doing our customer service at the time. And man, there were days where I did not know if it was going to be, I didn't know, I didn't know where we were going to end up. I, I definitely didn't think, could not have thought that we would end up where we are today. Part of me hoped that we would. And that's where the, our three brothers, we have different mindsets when it comes to business. And Tyler is very much more so big picture. Let's build a billion dollar brand. Yeah. And this is where we're going. And I'm more analytical on a day-to-day -day basis. Let's, how can we run this business as efficiently as possible today? Let's get in the numbers. And so I think that's where Tyler was able to lift me up on days that were dragging where I didn't think, I didn't, I, I wasn't seeing the vision that he was yep. when, when sales were very slow. But so where's Granger and all that? Like Tyler's the big picture visionary thinker. You're, you know, the analytic, uh, devils in the details, operations guy, you know, where does this, how does you two balance each other out really well, by the way, where does Granger fit into that? Is he somewhere in the middle or? 
Yeah, Granger's uh, Granger's an artist and a musician, and so he, he Granger genuinely enjoys. He he kind of goes with the flow on the business side, yeah. and he'll do. Hey, what are you guys thinking? What can I do to help? So Granger loves making music, and he loves making YouTube videos with his family vlog channel, The Smiths, yep. and that's his passion. And then we'll kind of help integrate the brand and sales and products and it kind of helped teach him how to monetize that yep. uh, on his end so that it makes sense for him. And so Granger's uh, that's kind of what Granger's passionate about is being the brand uh, uh, spokesman and the, the brand hero. And I think where you guys really excel, I mean, you excel in a lot of areas, but the one that really jumps out to me because it's so nuanced and you don't realize it unless you're looking carefully is it's a concept called intentional congruence. And you know, what it really is is you have uh, layers of branding on top of branding on top of branding in a manner where everything you do feeds one another. You know, the, the music feeds the apparel brand, uh, the lifestyle feeds you know, the, the, uh, the YouTube channels, like everything is so, uh, seamlessly integrated that, you know, I, I, I mean, it's something I try and emulate and kind of watch what you're doing to do myself. You know, like my business is kind of like three legs of a stool. There's writing, speaking, and coaching. Yeah. I try and make sure those three things feed one another. If someone, you know, comes to uh, a public seminar I do that helps feed book sales, book sales, help, you know, book speaking gigs and that kind of thing. But I, I don't know anyone who, who practices intentional congruence as well as you guys do. And I was wondering if you could kind of touch on that part of your strategy um, and how you're able to just integrate it so seamlessly in so many different ways. Like, I mean, I, I probably brushed, I broad brushed over that whole thing. There's so many different layers to it that that's a podcast episode in and of itself. Yeah. We just started one at a time. It started, it started with Granger's music and then it pushed into me coming in and building the brand separate from Granger for people who may not know about country music or have ever heard of Granger Smith. And we wanted something that would stand alone on its own. And as Granger gets older, it's like, you're not going to know forever. I, I once heard the owner of a young and reckless say, you know, I'm, I'm not young and reckless anymore. I'm, yeah. you know, middle-aged and my knees hurt when it rains. I'm not going to know what, it, <laughs> I'm not going to know what the 19 year olds are wearing forever. That's why you have to continue to hire on people who do and who are staying in with the trends. And so it's cool that we're able to we're able to hit different types of audiences who have the same brand vision of, you know, they enjoy the country and the outdoors and hunting and fishing. Yeah. How do you but, guys define yee? Because I think that ties everything all together nicely too. Yeah. So what does that you know, mean to you? We, we like to describe it as, you know, we're a patriotic outdoor apparel company who doesn't take ourselves too seriously. Yep. Uh, you know, yee can mean, taking risks and living life to the fullest as cliche as it sounds. But really at the end of the day, it's, we like to consider ourselves, you know, a mix between a Bass Pro and Realtree and Barstool Sports yep. where, you know, we're, we're 
an outdoor hunting, fishing brand that doesn't take ourselves too seriously, that doesn't market ourselves too seriously. That's just literally trying to con- trying to communicate to our customers like we would communicate to our friends. And, and go ahead. And, no, I was going to say, and with that, uh, you know, what I find fascinating about all that is um, just how like your how niche you are yet what a broad swath of like our population you do reach you know it's hunting fishing outdoors you know people who who uh, want to live life to the fullest um and that's a wide age range and to have a brand you know within kind of the brand that stands alone like the, the point i was gonna make earlier is like granger's not gonna want to tour forever he's not gonna be making music forever but you've built something that can live beyond, you know, however long he wants to continue his music career. As yeah, so I'm, like, I'm, what's I'm he going to do next? He's already doing what he's going to do next, right? I've been able to develop a really good relationship with the CEO of, of Margaritaville, who heads up all of their merchandising. And so our goal is for Granger to be able to be the Jimmy Buffett one day where he's not necessarily a slave to the road. All the musicians yep. joke that they're all slaves to the music industry and to oh, the yeah. road and touring. And this this coronavirus has really, really shown exactly how how limited and how exposed everybody is to the touring world and how man, almost everybody, touring, almost everybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about that for a second. Uh, it's shut down the entire music industry. It's shut down theaters, comedy, any, it's shut down speaking business for me. Anything where, you know, you're gathering more than a hundred people, forget about it. Um, so you, like in the case of musicians, you have people who have completely lost their income. And like the only time they're selling merch is when they're touring. You guys don't have that problem you're smart enough to diversify. So when you said it affected everybody, it's affected almost everybody. And I think there are a lot of people right about now, whether they're in music, entertainment, they're just small business owners, entrepreneurs who don't have that, that public facing brand online um, that is broader than kind of the niche they technically operate in day to day. They wish now they had what you guys were smart enough to build years ago. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how that's really kind of helped um, bridge the gap between being able to be out there touring and, you know, kind of, I mean, basically the band's kind of on a sabbatical leave right now, but you've got revenue coming in. It's a different arm of the business, but, you know, you're, you're not uh, in the same position stuck like a lot of other yeah, we professional peers are. We talk about how early in the business that our touring business was able to help out the apparel company in its infant stages. And so now it's cool for the apparel company to be able to help out the touring side uh, with all the guys being out of work now. But we were definitely over leveraged. And I mean, Granger, they had multiple buses, they had a, an 18 wheeler, they had the production of the show. So it's been this time has been a time that's been humbling for them to they sold the truck, they're down to one bus now they're 
the show has been completely stripped of all the fancy lights and the video screens. And it's more just like back to the basics of the music. And a lot of the guys are really honestly enjoying it because it just gets to the point where you have so much stuff and you don't even realize it. It's essentialism, all- right? Yeah. You read the book essentialism. Yeah. I just finished it's, it actually. Yeah. It's kind of what you like. It's a great recalibration, you know, really. And I'm not surprised they're enjoying it more because it's about what, you know, their real mission and purpose is. Yeah. And so stripping Granger, away all the, you know, the, the optics. Granger's been able to pivot towards uh, his podcast, which has been able to give him another form of income. And then his YouTube his YouTube family vlog channel that we were talking about. Uh, that's been, you know, successful people will find a way to pivot when, when things aren't going well and, you know, when things don't happen the way you thought they would. And so we've just really been able to focus his energy on his new album now. Okay. He can, we have more time to write. You have more time to do this YouTube. You have more time to, uh, find uh, advertisers for your podcast. And so we've really been able to transition that. And then for the on the apparel side, it's really been great for us because everybody's bored at home with money that they would be spending eating out and traveling. So it's been, it's been, it's kind of evened out for us. So for people listening, like this all reminds me of when's the best time to plant a tree 25 years ago. When's the second best time to plant a tree today. So like, when's the best time for you to have built another arm on your business and diversified, you know, if you're offline uh, to build it online, if you're online, you know, have an offline leg of your business. Uh, when's the best time? A bunch of years ago, second best time, do it now. Yeah, well, you have that free time because you're still kind of socially distanced. You're not necessarily quarantined, but there's make no mistake about it. Everyone's got a little more free time on their hands right now. Yeah. So, you know, why not take that opportunity and everything that, that uh, Parker just gave as examples, it's just more of that intentional congruence that, that they practice, you know, having the podcast, which feeds the YouTube channel, which feeds, you know, the apparel brand, you know, how can you create different channels that all sort of funnel to kind of the same distribution point in your business? Uh, I'd love to talk a little bit now, Tyler, or yeah, Tyler. Parker about the community aspect to what you do. You know, we talked about yee yee really meaning live life to your fullest. And as a little experiment, what I did on um, yee yee nation's official Facebook page, I put a post up less than 24 hours ago, knowing we are having this conversation today. Um, and I just, uh, it's a picture of a, this is no doubt taken in Texas. It's a picture of a, uh, a gate at a ranch or a farm and hanging from the gate are a pair of oven mitts. And if you live in the South or, or Texas, which thinks it's its own country and rightfully probably should be, um, you'll get this sort of joke with a picture. The caption I wrote was exactly how hot is it today? And in less than 24 hours, there are uh, 115 thumbs up or likes or laughs or whatever, you know, and six different comments, some of which aren't even comments. They're just people tagging their friends like, hey, this is relatable. You know, we've all kind of been there. Or that's funny or whatever. Like, but for something to, to uh, have been posted less than 24 hours ago, to have that kind of engagement and visibility um, speaks to the community you've built. And it's an online community. It's also an offline community. 
but it's also really kind of super organic. Can you talk to us a little bit about um, sort of the way that's come about? I think the best way I heard uh, all of this described was Bobby Bones did an interview with Granger, and uh, part of his introduction was, um, you know, we have Granger Smith, who's in studio today. Uh, Granger doesn't have fans. He has a cult. He doesn't have a fan base. He's kind of, he runs a cult. He's got the, and he was very, saying this in a very complimentary way, meaning like you have the most rabid fans who are so intensely loyal and engage so much with your brand. It's kind of scary. And I just thought that was the perfect analogy. And, you know, that little Facebook post I put up there is just an example of just how engaged your people are and sort of rally around the lifestyle and what Yee really means. Uh, can you talk to, to all of us, everyone listening, and I'm going to learn from this too, about how you sort of walk the fine line of this is our brand, here's our value proposition, here's exactly what we do, and letting go of the reins and letting your audience like really steer that conversation a bit. And that all, you know, that all started very organically with people holding up signs and coming to shows and yelling yee yee. But it's expanded just looking at that Facebook group in a hundred different directions. You know, how do you walk that balance of, you know, here's what we are and, and you know, we want to control the narrative, like you mentioned earlier, with, you know, this is grassroots, organic. We, we let the fans and our following, our community, really contribute. Yeah, our, our CMO came up with that idea, Hayden, to create that Facebook group. And it's probably the best thing to ever happen to our business. I don't, I can't say that enough, how important that Facebook group is for people to come in and, and, and talk with each other and speak their language and relate with each other. And man, when you can build that sense of community within your brand, it just, it's so powerful. And in a world where a lot of people are, we're more connected than ever, but we're more separate than ever. And, and, you know, in a different aspect, a lot of people are extremely lonely and they're trying to be, they're trying to be somebody that they're not to impress people that they don't even like. And, you know, that sense of community within Yi nation has just allowed people to come, you know, people are naturally wanting to be a part of something bigger than themselves toward a common goal with people that remind them of themselves. And it's like, man, we created this group and people were able to come in and tell jokes and, and talk and take a picture of their dog. And someone in Australia, someone in South Carolina can take a picture of their dog. And someone in Australia will say, you know, I have the same one. And then someone will say, you know, do y'all like my truck? Someone in Florida and then someone in Nebraska will be like, my grandfather had the same one. You just build, you just can't put an ROI on the yep. importance of that sense of community and that tribe. And Man, I, I love the saying. Uh, let me ask you if you were if you were to describe a story, the definition of a story. What would you What would you say? The definition of a good story is you're like I'm hearing you tell me, quote your story, but I've dropped myself into that story in my own mind. Mm. That's a good story is you can put, you put yourself in that person's shoes 
and it has that, you know, we've all been there before kind of quality to it, or it's just so relatable. There's something similar that happened to you and you go there in your mind, not necessarily, you know, I don't go to uh, Georgetown, Texas, where you are. Uh, and, and, and that story about like, you know, the goofy incident that happened with you and your buddies at the Mexican restaurant or whatever, like I'm going to that time in my mind where I'm with my friends out at the restaurant and that same ridiculous thing happened to one of us. Like that's to me is a story well told that it just resonates so deeply on an emotional level and it's personal. All right. Well, you uh, you answered that a lot more eloquently than I did the first time someone asked me that because you are a storyteller for a living. But when someone asked me that for the first time, yeah. I said, they said, if you were to think of, you know, any movie, any book, what does a story have? And I said, well, I guess a story has a beginning, a middle and an end. And they said, yeah, that's what I said the first time someone asked me, you know, what else has a beginning, middle and an end? And I said, no, what? He said, me taking a shit. And I said, <laughs> that's <laughs> I said, a story. Yeah, I guess you're right. And so he said, what the best stories have is a hero, an obstacle, yeah. and then a goal to achieve that obstacle. And so I think any business can look at it and they can say, you know, what's the obstacle? Who's the individual or the business that's going to take care of this, this, this problem? What's the obstacle? Is it a service that I see that could be improved in our market? Is it apparel? Is it someone who, is it, you know, shirts are too short for tall people. How can I, how can I achieve yeah. that obstacle? And how can I achieve that goal? And so for us, it was, you know, we created a brand with a language that people could speak that was relatable, like you said, and our obstacle almost became, you know, how can we, how can we countryfy this politically correct yeah. world that we live in now? And how can we, how can we, you know, countryfy it in a fun way and so granger became our our brand hero we saw the goal and we saw the obstacle and then we were able to you know and are still trying to achieve that goal and i think that people resonate with that and then that's really what what our brand message has become and what keeps people coming back to that sense of community yes as you're listening to this i love that synopsis you just gave but as everyone's listening to this you're not just creating a brand in your business. You're not just setting up an online store. What you ought to strive to be doing is what Yee Yee Apparel is doing, and that's building a community. You know, um, and, and you know, it's one thing to paint a picture, and we all need to paint the picture with our brand and our narrative. Uh, but like really successful brands, paint their customers into the picture, and then let their customers help paint the picture. And, you know, if I had to say there's a superpower that you guys possess at Yee Yee, it's you paint the customer into the picture and you let them help paint the picture better than everybody. Yeah. Um, and so if you're not following Yee Yee apparel, uh, Yee Yee life, that whole, um, you know, all the different arms of the brand of the community you need to follow it. Even if you're not into country music, you don't hunt, you don't fish, you don't, you're an indoorsman, not an outdoorsman. Uh, you ought to follow it because you can learn about how to engage your audience. You can learn about how to build a community. You can learn about how quality uh, trumps quantity. 
Uh, you can learn about adding value, personal touch, all these things we're talking about. Go ahead and follow them. Where's the best place for people to you know follow you guys? Instagram is Instagram, it the website. Instagram's the place to be, but uh, we have a great following on Facebook too, and I feel like that's a very uh, undervalued place uh, that businesses don't put a lot of effort into. But it's it is fantastic if you like I said with that Facebook group. So uh, go check out Yee Nation on Facebook. It's forty five thousand uh, and change members strong. Uh, yeah. Two hundred and twenty five thousand people like the page. For Yee Yee, it's, uh, it's a rabid following. So Facebook, Instagram, and then what's the website? Yee.com. Okay. Um, so let's uh, shift gears a little bit. I want to talk kind of uh, nuts and bolts. You, know, you mentioned Facebook being kind of an undervalued destination. Um, you know, what's been the best marketing for you? You know, you talk to us about what you grew the brand from mm-hmm. and where it is today. And then we can kind of talk marketing strategies. Yeah. So at a tactical level, it was kind of like I said, with, with, uh, touched on with creating that A plus product quality, creating a product that people are going to tell their friends about, have a good experience. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, in my mind, your business or your service is, is made up of two things. You need to have an A plus business or an A plus product and then an A plus or an A plus service, depending on what you're doing, either a great product or a great service, whatever you're offering. And you just need need to be able to market that in an interesting way. And I think that so many people market one way and then they live a completely different way because people just feel like they have to follow these formalities that have been written in stone. And then they all take themselves too seriously. And then at the end of the day, no one ends up seeing their stuff. And it's a lack of congruence. They're not walking their talk. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we just try to not, we, like I said earlier, we try to, to, we try to communicate with our customers. Like we would communicate with our friends and chances are if, if, you know, the best commercials and ads are the ones that you finish watching and you didn't even realize it was a commercial or an ad. So just trying to make it organic and, you know, some of the best places that we've found to do that have been, you know, with Granger's YouTube channel. And you mentioned earlier his cult following and man, you have music artists who have, who have super fans, but from, from my perspective, the YouTube and, and podcast listeners, they feel like they're your friend. Whereas when you're listening to an artist, you love that artist and you relate to them depending on what it makes you think about in your life. But you feel like people who are listening to us right now feel like we're all in the same room together. We're all in the car together and we're just buddies and we're talking, which we pretty much are. And so that YouTube following is able to build such a stronger, deep connection to the person. And so when you're able to build that and bring value in that way, mentioning that we have a shirt of the month club comes across so much more naturally than it does trying to pitch it in a much more formal way on a TV commercial or a magazine ad. It's, it's just coming across so much more organically. And I think there's there's a learning takeaway there for everyone. Um, the example I'll give is about a year ago, Granger stopped doing media. He stopped doing interviews you know, on radio and doing press. And it's for different reasons, I think. But uh, what he started doing was he started his own channel, meaning the, the podcast. And it was long-form content instead of a short media hit you know, uh, on you know, a radio station or you know, a television station. 
And that's something I think everyone ought to put more stock and value into because when you do these short little media, you know, the, these press tours and things, you have to be a mile wide and an inch deep for a matter of seconds or minutes. And you end up talking in sound bites and everyone sounds the same. And when you have long form content like your own podcast, uh, your own YouTube channel, you can allow people to kind of come into the fold and get to know you on a deeper level and form a better connection. Yeah, it might be a deeper connection with fewer people, but again, quality trumps quantity and you'd rather have, you know, a thousand super fans than just a million people know you. And I love that. I, think I heard Gary Vaynerchuk talk about that where he says people come up to him all the time and they're like, if, if I release a four minute long Facebook video, much less people are going to see it than my 15 second ad. And he goes, you'd much rather have that much smaller number who are going to watch all five minutes than a huge number who are going to only watch 10 seconds. Exactly. I, I think it's super important for everyone and it's something that they do masterfully well. Uh, so you talk about like keeping it different and you, you're, if you're not different, you're invisible today. Uh, how do you guys stay creative? and come up with this new organic content? Like what's, what's your biggest source of inspiration? Uh, I, I once heard an author say he had written a ton of books and they said, how do you keep coming up with that, these ideas for books? And he said, 400 awful words a day. Yep. You just sit down and you just start, you just start writing. And it's, if you don't feel like it, you know, if you wait for that inspiration, that motivation to hit you, you know, it's never going to hit you. A lot of people think it's inspiration and creativity. And I'm preaching at the choir here. You know, probably know a lot more about this than I do. But, you know, it's it's action and then motivation and creativity versus creativity and then action. The majority of the time, for me personally, that's been the case. And so looking at one of the biggest sources of inspiration for me has been modeling and modifying what I've seen other businesses do outside of our industry. And then now you're talking my language, your best yeah. Ideas come from outside your industry. Amen. Yeah, exactly. And so like, I'm, like I've said, I'm not trying to recreate the wheel here. Yep. I'm looking at what's working for other people. And we always say, we always say, let's, you know, model and modify. That's, that's the name of the game uh, here. We're not trying to start something that no one else has done before. There's been plenty of brands that have created a cult following. Uh, we're just, we're not looking necessarily from, you know, our binoculars just at our niche. We're just trying to keep our eyes open. Like you said, mm -hmm and see what's working for, you know, some of these other big brands with, with big followings and how can we, how can we pivot that into our niche? Yeah. It's the fascinating thing. Like if I, uh, you know, if I asked anybody, you know, what do Lady Gaga and Iron Maiden have in common? They're going to say nothing, man. Nothing. They couldn't be more dissimilar. She actually modeled everything she did to build her fan base around what Iron Maiden did because Iron Maiden has a cult following and yeah, they're uh, in the same industry, but it's such a completely different genre, such totally different audiences. They may as well be different industry, but you know, her source of, you know, model and modify was Iron Maiden, which just seems like the most unlikely thing, but you know, fan engagement is fan engagement, whether it's heavy metal pop, Know, apparel, life insurance, whatever, real estate, whatever it is, you know, um, see what successful people and brands are doing, model and modify. 
And it's going to, you know, if you're smart, it's going to come from probably a pretty weird place, but a really successful place. So um, I love that. And, and I think that's why, you know, you're doing things like, a, like software as a service is huge. You know, Adobe moved from, you know, selling, you know, here's the CD-ROM where you download your software to here's the link to pull it off the cloud. And you got to renew that every year. You know, here's your subscription. Well, you're doing apparel as a subscription service. And it's it's a much more, I would say, valuable long-term in terms of like the lifetime value of a customer way to operate. Because what do you get to do every month? You get to market to them every month, something new, not just what they paid for. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's really a nice microcosm of kind of model and modify and, and just how different you guys are in that sea of sameness that is, you know, the, the, the apparel business. Yeah, we talked, we, you and I were talking earlier and I, I was, I was telling you about how, you know, apparel is difficult because you only need a shirt or a hat, you know, every so often and it's only going to last you for so long. And we always wished that we were in a, a, a business or a niche with consumable products that people need. Like I'm, I'm so jealous of black rifle coffee because it's like your entire business model is based off of something that people are going to reorder every month. Your whole business is a, is a shirt of the month club. And so and it's a product um, people are literally addicted to. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so the next evolution of that is I'd seen a couple other businesses have successful shirt of the month campaigns. And so that just seemed like the next evolution to create a subscription service. We always knew we wanted a subscription service in our business. We struggled early on with offering everything at the same time to everybody. And I think a lot of people will be able to relate to this. And one of the lessons that I learned was it's, it's so difficult from a cash flow perspective to keep all of that capital on your oh, shelves yeah. all the time. And so obviously a shirt of the month, every shirt that you're ordering has already been sold. And so it's just such a lifesaver in terms of cash flow from a business perspective. And then the other thing kind of related to a question that you asked earlier about was there a specific pivot point in the business? And I would say spring of 2019, I came up with this idea to I modeled and modified from another business that I saw doing was they're coming up with seasonal launches for their products. And so we were like, maybe instead of keeping all of this stuff on the shelf all year long, we create a sense of urgency and a creative create a demand. And so we said our spring launch is going to be seasonal products. So the spring stuff is going to have fishing stuff. It's going to be lighter colors. It's going to be fishing shirts and stuff that you'll actually wear in the springtime. And it's going to launch this Friday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. And we're like, is that stupid to launch it at a, sp a specific second? But we did it and we put a countdown timer on our website and created this demand. And we said, limited quantity, we didn't order much of this stuff and you're not gonna be able to get it again. And we sold all of it in like eight minutes. And that was the moment where we sat back and we sold more in those eight minutes than we had the entire previous month. And we were like, I think we're onto something here with these launches you're creating the demand, you're hyping it up, limited quantity and exclusivity. And that was the point where we were like, all right, moving forward, we're going to do four launches a year, spring, summer, fall, winter, and, and, and go from there. And I think that, and that's been 
super helpful for us because then we say, okay, let's just keep two or three men's products, two or three women's products of what we call the meat and cheese or the pepperoni and cheese pizza of what majority of people are buying and then do limited launches um, at a particular time. And so that's helped us, us out of time. I don't think you need to be an apparel brand to be able to do that and take a page from Parker's playbook. You know, um, there are seasons to everybody's business. You work in retail, you know, the super, your Super Bowl is, you know, Black Friday to Christmas. Your downtime is, you know, right after New Year's when everyone's got a whopping credit card bill. Uh, So to be able to find different seasons when you can create a launch uh, a new initiative, something that's uh, unique, limited quantity, and then incorporate these two tactics that he just described really well, urgency and scarcity. There's a limited quantity, there's a very limited supply, and you better get it while it's hot. And it's hot Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time. Uh, we're turning on the shopping cart, and it's only staying on uh, until everything sells, and that won't take long. Um and I love seeing you walk your talk because uh, I'm on your mailing list and I see when you do a new launch, you're like, listen, folks, here's the way it's going to go. Don't complain if, you know, you don't get what you want because you arrived to the party a little late. 10 a.m. Friday, we're opening it up and it will sell out. So you're going to want to, you know, set this alert in your Google calendar or on your phone and you're going to want to go there right away. And I can't emphasize enough how much using urgency and scarcity helped my business with book launches. I didn't really, I wasn't an early believer in that. Uh, but once I started doing it, I saw a huge difference. And, you know, I think it's something anyone can apply to their business if they're smart and coachable. So uh, what are a couple other tricks you have up your sleeve? Cause that's just, that one's a gem that will, that alone, if you use that, will make listening to this or watching this well worth your while people. I remember when Granger, he had one of his first sold out shows and there was still a line of people going around the building who wanted tickets that couldn't get it. And he was so mad. And he said, all those people that came here could have seen the show, but we sold out. And it pertains a lot to what my thinking was where, man, we should have ordered more stuff. We sold out. All these people would have bought something and now they didn't. But you just look at it like all those people one of it wanted a ticket they may be upset but they realize that you're the real deal now and there's yep. this sense of urgency next time where it's like look we're not messing around this next time that granger's here or this next time we do a launch you better get your ticket or you better buy it because there's a lot of people who want it even if nobody knows even if you only bought 25 hats if they sold out yep. then it's sold out and so in their mind it's creating that sense of demand and urgency like you said and that sense of scarcity which helps out a lot I think it helps accelerate them putting a skin in the game earlier and elevates you, your brand. Like it's worth losing those people who couldn't get in because next time they're going to be more committed. They're going to take you more seriously. You're going to be more of a priority in their life. Yeah. The other biggest thing, you know, that I do on a daily basis that I got from uh, Andy Frisella, who is the founder of uh, First Form for people that don't know, but man, that guy, he is, uh, he is, uh, not the most PG 13, uh, entrepreneur out there. He's pretty vulgar, but man, he, he kicks you in the butt whenever you're feeling lazy or unmotivated. And one of the things that I got from him was he, he goes a lot, uh, on the, along the lines of less is more, the less is more strategy. And he has what he calls his power list, which are the five things that he wants to do that day. 
There's the five things that you need to do that day. Nothing else matters. Just put down what are the five most important or put down everything you need to do, maybe 30 things, and then number that one through five in order of priority of what are the most important things for us to reach our goals this year for the business and only do those five things. He says, I may finish all five of those things. It may, be, it may take me from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. Some days it may take me from 7 a.m. to 9.15 a.m. And guess what? After that, I have the rest of the day to do whatever the heck I want. Yep. But when you're able to do the five most important critical tasks of the day before you do anything else, before you get to the office and you're busy instead of being efficient, you know, people, people want to mess around in the margins of checking their emails or doing this busy work that makes them feel, you know, busy, busyness is laziness at the end of the day. And if you're not being effective, then you're wasting your time in whatever industry you're in. And so that's the single most important takeaway that I've gotten in the last couple of years is every day I list all the things I need to do. I list them in priority of one through five to push the business forward. And I make sure before anything else, that's priority before, before taking calls or before being reactive to all of the things that come your way. Yeah. It's all, you know, to put in coaching terms for me, it's, uh, you know, offense over defense. You want to start your day on offense every day. You don't want to, you want to be proactive, not reactive. And just by the sheer fact that you're prioritizing what's important in your day, you're going to move the needle more than if you don't. I'm amazed at how many people start their day on defense, not offense. They're in in their inbox, which is just, you know, a, a filing cabinet for other people's agendas, really. And you're part of somebody else's to-do list with that. But just be proactive, whether it's five things, three things, whatever it is, prioritize what you got to get done. And it's amazing how much you can delegate. That's, yeah, I think it's another important thing. It's like, you know, what are your revenue producing activities and what can you delegate that's outside of that? You know, for me, it's like speaking, writing and coaching. And if it's not one of those three things, I try and delegate it because uh, your time is better spent doing other things. Um, you know, what's uh, kind of the single best investment you've made talking about investing your time? Uh, maybe it's not time, but what's the single best, best investment you guys have made in, in the business with your brand? It'd be with our people. Uh, hiring, hiring our CMO last year has been just a game changer for the business. And like you said, you get to the point where you almost shift in a brand's growth from being able to focus on strategy and long-term growth to all of a sudden you're a manager of employees. And juggling all those things can be difficult and you're learning to manage people rather than just grow your business. And having a CMO that, you know, when I was first hired, Tyler was, Tyler was juggling. He was being Superman and juggling 15 different things. He was able to unload that on me to where I could then come in and just focus on the apparel and the energy drink. And he could focus on managing Granger. And then it got to a point where I was juggling everything in the business. And we needed somebody who was just focusing on marketing, social media content and email. And, you know, I love the saying when you first hire somebody, yes, it's kind of a pain in the butt to train them. Yes, you could do it cheaper. You're, you could do It's less expensive to just keep doing it yourself. Yes, it's a pain in the butt to, to train them. But when you first te- teach them, they may be able to do it 50%, 60% as well as you. But over time, when that's the only thing that they're doing, they're going to end up becoming much more efficient at it than you ever were because it's all they're doing all day. And so at the end of the day, if you're ever at a ceiling with your business or you don't know, you feel like you've hit a peak, 
one of the biggest things that you can do is find out where that bottleneck is and look at those things that, what am I best at? What do I really enjoy? And maybe how can I get somebody to help out with something or offload some of this so that I can focus on what's going to move everything else forward? That's a great tip. I think people look at, you know, oh, if you want a job done right, do it yourself. No, not really. You know, like, because there's somebody's, some, your weakness is somebody else's strength. Hire, you know, hire to your weaknesses and let that person kind of take it and run with it once you train them. Um, what, uh, what would you say is like uh, a mistake that you guys made that, you know, you would advise somebody else uh, to avoid? You know, I talk a lot about like expensive experience and inexpensive experience. Expensive experience is, you know, learning by trial and error, feeling like you got to do it all yourself. Inexpensive is kind of, as you said, model and modify. Look at, at someone who's successful is a little further down the road than you. Uh, lean on them for advice or simply model and modify what they're doing. Uh, what's an expensive mistake you made that you would uh, say, this is a cautionary tale for everybody listening? You know, trying to trying to keep everything in stock all the time. I'd say when I realized that you can't have, you can't just sell everything and keep it all. Yep. You can't do it all at once. You need to create that sense of urgency and just focus in on what are those 10 or 20% of things that you're doing or you're selling that are producing 80 or 90% of your results? You know, I'm a huge proponent of that 80, 20 rule and asking yourself, what's the one thing we could be doing it such, such that by doing it, everything else is either easier or unnecessary. So for us, that was the energy drink. And, you know, you talk about that sunk cost bias and, you know, once you've been in it and you put in so much money and time and you have to swallow your ego and, I don't think I would have reordered the second batch of EE energy because it just wasn't producing. It wasn't producing the 80% yeah. of the results. It wasn't where 80% of our revenue was coming and it was causing so many headaches and things. And I think if I had it's such a fine balance between balancing, you know, yes, you need to try new things. And if Amazon was still, Amazon used to just sell books and if they hadn't tried selling other things, then who knows where they would be. You know, you have to be able to try new things and fail, but you have to know when to uh, when to focus on where the need in the market is and where the demand is. So, you know, I'd say I would have I would have cut out the energy drink a little bit sooner. Okay. And then we also tried to do print on demand for a while, and the product quality was not there. And if it seems too good to be true, then it probably is. And so yeah. we had someone else making our stuff for us and shipping it out for us, and it was awful. <laughs> so don't yeah. do that. It's good to know. And it's, uh, you know, you mentioned being willing to let go of things. Um, and this is something I, what you reminded me of is a story from when I went to Disney world a couple of years ago, I took my wife and kids there and you know, I'm not a roller coaster fan. I really, I don't like heights and I, I, I'm claustrophobic. It's just not a good situation. Like the rest of my family loves it. So I just sat outside on a park bench outside of Space Mountain while they went and rode that thing five times. And, you know, one of the, uh, quote, cast members came up to me. You know, they're not employees at Disney. They're all members of the cast. And they said, you know, just talked me up, small, you know, small talk, chatted me up. Hey, how's it going? You know, what are you doing? You know, I said, I'm just sitting this one out. I'm not a roller coaster fan. My wife and kids are going to be on there for a while. 
why don't you like roller coasters? And they just started asking me like all these questions. I'm like, well, why are you interviewing me? You know, like now I'm curious. They're like, oh, we're just always curious. Like, you know, why people don't want to ride certain rides or what you like or what you don't like. And so now I start asking them questions. And this whole thing basically came down to like, they have a concept that's called the low ride go. And they've been doing this for years. And it's a great metaphor for everyone's business. And it's exactly what you just talked about with your energy drink. And they said they keep like a running tally of exactly how many people go through those turnstiles and ride every ride every quarter. And whatever is the lowest attended ride, they take it out of the park. And they'll either replace it with someone, something else or they just won't replace it. And I think it's a great metaphor for business, for everybody. Like, what's your low ride go? What's your version of that that you're doing that's occupying your time, it's occupying your shelf space, it's costing you money that really it's not worth doing? Be able to, you know, measure that, recognize it, and don't be so emotionally attached to it. Would you call it sunk cost? Yeah, the sunk cost bias. Yeah, don't have that sunk cost bias that prevents you from doing what you ought to do, and that's letting a low ride go, people. So I think everyone's got their own version of that. That is an absolute gem, Parker. Um, what? Uh, so look into the future for us here. You, you're going into some new um, – industries are you branching off and are there some new innovations for the brand what's coming up yeah one of the things that i'm really looking forward to and that i really look up to margaritaville for what they've done with their resorts and they're partnering with everything from flip-flops to blenders to make margaritas and so i've I've been talking with with my buddy over there a lot and you know one of the things that i think will really push us to to become that billion dollar brand is leveraging what ye has become in other areas that we may not, you know, we're not going to make, we're not going to make custom made cowboy boots, but for instance, we're partnering with a company who's got a fantastic factory in Mexico and makes top of the line handmade leather cowboy boots. So we're going to be releasing a ye boot in hopefully before the year ends. And uh, that factory is also going to be doing wallets for us. And so trying to license and leverage the brand in different ways outside of our industry. We're also focusing on uh, two other projects that I can't specify exactly what they are, but one of them is going to be a beverage that we're going to approach differently than the energy drink with a distribution team and people who, rather than creating another job for myself, it's going to be here's the brand. Let's leverage this. You go do what you go do best. Yep. And then we'll sit here and then we'll take the check of, of, of and we'll support you and do our marketing as you go and you have the relationships in the business. And then uh, we're also creating another uh, a food right now uh, and, and leveraging that. And so, Oh, wow. That's that. Those are the two big projects that are going to be coming in the next, hopefully year or two. It's exciting. And it's, uh, you know, there's a huge lesson there too. It's like, these are products that fit your audience's lifestyle. So as opposed to just forcing something down the customer's throat, which you so often see companies do because it's something they want to do or like they like it and they think it's a really good idea. It doesn't necessarily mean that's what their audience wants, but this is all again, real congruent. It fits, you know, the product fits the lifestyle of the audience. And that just, like you said, it just enhances the odds of it being a huge success. 
And I hadn't really thought of the parallels between you and Margaritaville, but man, that is, uh, it's just, there's so many striking parallels there. Yeah. And what an incredible, uh, it's an experience more than it's a, a, a brand, you know, it's a lifestyle and it's an experience. If you ever been to Margarita, if you haven't been to Margaritaville, you need to go to experience it. And if you have, you know exactly what we're talking about. And Yee Yee is basically the uh, kind of the blue collar country version of that. I think mean, it's a great analogy. What do you think people underestimate? And as we kind of wrap up here, what do you think people underestimate and overestimate in their business? They overestimate. Well, I love the I love the saying personal development wise. People overestimate what they can do in a year, and they underestimate what they can do in ten years. And I think Earl Dibbles Jr. said that, didn't he? He yeah, was talking about so. he's got a busy schedule. Yeah, he was about twelve beers deep, and he said that one. I think. Uh, yeah, so I think I think people underestimate how much the little things add up to your customer, and and putting a little bit more work up front. I know that's kind of vague, but I'm trying to speak in terms of not just apparel, but some of those things that I was touching on earlier is just giving them the pickle, going a little bit further for your customers. I think people underestimate the value in that long-term and then they overestimate overestimate the length of time and the effort that it's going to take to be able to reach those business goals that you have and just be prepared for it to... Grant Cardone wrote a book called The 10X Rule. And the idea is, you know, typically things are going to take about 10 times more time and effort than you originally imagined. If you go in with that mindset of of being ready for that, then um, it's going to help you out in the long run. You know, uh, I think we uh, don't think big enough a lot of the time. So um, give us a last question. Then I want you to tell everybody where they can get more information and go buy product. Give us a, a little um, kind of trick of the trade, if you will, that you guys utilize. People love like tricks, tips, tactics. You know, what's kind of a uh, you know, special sauce, if you will, that you guys do that, you know, we just wouldn't see anywhere else? Hmm. You know, I would say... I hate to, I hate to say something that I already said, but man, I would just, I can't emphasize enough, you know, Tim Ferriss wrote his book four hour work week and man, imagining every day, if you only had 30 minutes to get done what you need to get done and you just can't overestimate in a world where entrepreneurship is so cool and so put up on a pedestal, but people just go to coffee shops and scroll through Instagram all day. It's like, man, if you just had 30 minutes today, what do you need to do to get your goals done and prioritizing what is those five to 10% to 20% of things that I'm doing that's resulting in everything else and take action and just do it. You're not going to know what you're doing. Uh, We still have no clue what we're doing, but you know, I think one of the things that's enabled us to be successful is what are a few things that will push us forward and we don't know what the heck we're doing, but hey, I know a guy who might, or I know how to Google it, and let's just get started, even though we have no clue what we're doing yet. Just jump in. It's an important point. You know, uh, people are so worried about the what, and you know, what do I need to do and how that they overlook the who. 
Like you just said, we know a guy who can do that. Like, you know, everybody ought to look at the who first and, you know, find the right person who can ex- help accelerate that. Like what's the 80, 20 of it. And, you know, um, the Pareto principle, the 80, 20 rule has been around forever, but people don't live it. They know it's the right thing to do, but people don't do it. So just by prioritizing, like you said, you, you know, having that top five lift list and being predisposed towards action, like that's, it's, it's not really a secret, but it is right. Where, uh, where can people find more about you and uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? If you know, they have questions, want more information, that kind of thing. Yeah. You can uh, shoot me an email, Parker at yeeapparel.com. And then I'm also on uh, LinkedIn. You can find me there. Awesome. And we're going to wrap this up with one. I, I love to, uh, well, two things. Um, you're absolutely my favorite guest I've ever had on the show. Uh, I say all that right. to all my, I say that to all my guests, but this time I mean it. And, uh, say that too. What, um, what's the one question I should have asked you that I didn't? My favorite question. I listen to a lot of podcasts. My favorite question is, uh, what's the one thing that's, I, I love real estate investing and they say, what's the one thing that separates those who, who are extremely successful from those who give up, quit or never even get started. And that's always my favorite question on that podcast. So what is it? I'm Um, asking, now I'm asking you, what's that one thing in your mind? Um, And then I'll tell you, then I will tell you what I think is the one thing that makes you guys so successful. Being aware, you know, from a, it it all starts with one, it starts with yourself. And I believe that being aware of the story that your subconscious is telling yourself of who you are, being aware of that story. And if you can just listen to that voice in your head, you'd be amazed if just for today, you're just aware of that voice and you'll hear it with other people too, of the excuses that they make. And I'm the type of person who does this. I'm not a morning person. I don't eat healthy here. I don't like working long hours. I need this amount of sleep. If you say that, everything you say is a self-fulfilling prophecy in your life. Everything that you say. And yeah, I would just say being aware of the story that you tell yourself and, and then just taking action and before you're ready and realizing that every other person in the world is not that different than you. And when you realize that, that nobody knows what they're doing out here, then it'll make you a lot less nervous to, to go ahead and do it. It's so true, especially the story that we tell ourselves. Like if we talk to our friends and family, the way we talk to ourselves, they'd all disown us, right? What, what I think makes you guys so successful, the one thing in my mind for you is uh, optimism, which ties right in with like the story you tell yourself. Like, like things, it's an old trite expression, but things work out best for people who, you know, make the best of the way things work out. But it's, you know, that's kind of an old adage because it's true. And I just think you guys have this uh, optimism about you that, you know, here's what we're going to do. And we're going to find a way to make it work come hell or high water, you know? 
Yeah. And if you believe, you know, that business and money flows freely and abundantly to you and it will. And if you believe that money is extremely difficult to find and you're a, you're a one in a million prodigy, if you're successful, then that's true too. So. Absolutely. Awesome. We have to make sure we do this again, you know, more often than once every four years, which has been uh, the trend so far. So Let's check in in 2024 and see where we're at. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, we'll do it again real soon. I really appreciate you coming on. And uh, for people who want to get in touch with Parker, you can find them on LinkedIn, Parker Smith, and then also go to yeeapparel.com. Thanks everybody. Catch you next episode. Thanks for listening to The Coach Brew Show. If you're not currently subscribed to the podcast, sign up now on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. And for more information to turn your potential into performance, head on over to coachbrew.com now.